0: Welcome in everybody to Sad Times. My name is Kevin or K Crisp. If you're nasty, I suppose. I am the host of the show. So uh, for anybody who doesn't know about Sad Times, let me give you a little primer on it. Um, Sad Times is a show where I bring on uh, guests each episode and we talk about times that they were sad, upset, angry, overwhelmed by emotions and kind of how they dealt with it, how they felt and how those around them dealt with it and felt. Uh, I believe it's You know, human beings, the most powerful thing we have other than what we learn from commercials uh, is the ability to tell stories. And um, the goal of this podcast is not to solve, you know, what the people are sharing. It's about allowing them the space and the time to speak through their own story. Uh, so that anyone at, at home listening um, can feel a little less alone, find some, um, I, I read the term radical empathy earlier today, um, so that they they understand that they are not alone in, in what they have and have not dealt with. And um, before we move on, we I have to, of course, thank our sponsor, the reason that we're all here other than sadness, which is our sponsor, Fuck Cigarettes. That's Fuck Cigarettes. Remember, when the day gets bad, if you light up a fuck, it gets a little better. Fuck cigarettes. Go out and please go to a CVS and ask them if they have fuck cigarettes, although I don't think CVS even sells cigarettes. Uh, Maybe Walgreens. I don't know. Fuck cigarettes. Okay. Uh, And with that, let's get to today's guest. This is my friend who I've known since she was born, I believe, or right around there. Her name is Chelsea. Hey, Chelsea, how are you?
1: Hi, Kevin. I'm doing
0: great. How about you? Uh, well, other than the fact that I have to look at my face uh, in the Zoom invite or invite meeting, um, I'm fine. My face is it, – it, it's really a lot, lot of problems there. Um, s- <laughs> All right. Shut up, Brent. You, Brent's like, yeah, there are. <laughs> um, so, Chelsea, I, I made mention of it. Um, let's talk about how we know each other originally. Uh, we're from the same hometown. Do you want to talk about kind of, you know – where you're from and also yeah. It, yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah, I would love to. Um, I was born and raised in Monticello, Illinois. A little tiny town in central Illinois. Um, just west. Is that west? Is that east?
0: It's west of Champagne. Which
1: what west, west of Champagne. Um, so I grew up there. It was pretty small, about five thousand people. Um loved it, but excited to not be there anymore as well.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, they have two uh, world-renowned pizza places. Um, I am one of the rare people who chooses monocles over Filippo's, um, mm-hmm. which uh, upsets your uncle to no end. Um, mm-hmm. But I yeah. knew you because um, I, I mentioned your uncle, um, obviously his sister, your mother. Um, mm-hmm. We were all family friends and we met through the United Methodist Church, uh, my parents and uh, your mom's mom uh, and you were born and I believe my sister babysat you pretty early on when you were like a a real little, little baby. Um, and, um, you know, we kind of, uh, lost touch. Um, and then you and I have reconnected over the last couple of years and, and I'd say we've, we've become, uh, pretty good friends. So, um, I want to thank you for being on the show today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: You betcha. Um, okay, let's, let's, let's talk about what you want to share today. Um, I think you have some really valuable stories and um, <clears throat> insight here. So uh, let's start with, um, we mentioned your mom. Let's talk about your dad. Um, tell me about yeah. growing up with your dad um, and kind of that, how your guys' relationship was growing up and everything
1: yeah so I would say that, um, since the day I was born, I was a, a daddy's girl, for sure. they tell stories about how um when I was born, Dad was the only one that could hold me and and it make me content, so um sorry you mean out like he you would like only that. stop
0: crying if he held you, yeah, oh okay,
1: yeah, so that's pretty sweet um so Daddy's girl growing up too, especially uh we like to mess around with each other, definitely joke around a lot um we have some funny matching tattoos kind of just a, a really great matching tattoos yeah
0: um do you want to talk i I think one of them's on your middle finger isn't it
1: it's yep that sure is dad mm-hmm. um i got mom first and okay. he was insulted by that so yeah. um we had to get dad yeah because had to make it even
0: uh which i would just ask that you stop flipping me off because i'm tired of seeing that tattoo mm. Yeah,
1: Mm -hmm. I'm going to keep doing it. Okay, then.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, So you guys, you you shared some tattoos um, and uh, so your dad and your mom and you went to high school in Monticello, right?
1: That's correct. I did. I went to high school in Monticello. Um, I actually dropped out the end of my junior year.
0: Wow. Okay. And why did you do that?
1: Um, I did that because my parents were taking the move to Haiti so that um, they could work at an orphanage.
0: The country Haiti.
1: Yes. The country Haiti.
0: As opposed to the way I feel about Brent, which is full of Haiti. Um, Okay. Well, wait a minute. So an orphanage in Haiti, how did they even uh, become involved with that?
1: Yeah. So it's kind of a fun story. It it relates back to where Kevin and I grew up. Um, My in laws, it's really hard for me to call them anything else but that. The founders of the orphanage um, lived in Monticello as well for many years. They were born and raised there, and so um, we had that connection through a church.
0: Okay, and that was the the Methodist church? No, different church.
1: Yeah, lot different church.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, so your parents uh, met the owners of the orphanage, and you said that they you said they were born and raised in Monticello.
1: Dixie was, yep.
0: Dixie, okay, and that's uh, all right. And so they, how did they, did they, were they asked to move down there? How did they get involved originally, your parents?
1: Yeah, so my parents had seen John and Dixie talk um, early, you know, earlier on when they were going to lodge. And then um, we made a church home switch to Crossroads and um, they happened to be planning a mission trip. And so my mom and dad thought, you know, they've always wanted to do that and be able to give back. So um, that's kind of how they got looped in on their first mission, mission trip to Haiti.
0: Wow. That's that's awesome. How long was the trip for?
1: Um, just a week.
0: Just a week. Had now had yep. did you ever go on any mission trips with the Methodist Church at all? I did not. Yeah. The, the mission trips are, they're cool. I went on a couple of, I was lucky enough to go on a couple of those. So yeah, your, uh, your parents go down to Haiti for a week and then they come home and then what happened? Well, what, what were they yeah. doing in Haiti? I guess that, that first week.
1: Yeah. So when, um, when teams like that go down, it's often like a mix of female and male. And typically during the day they get split up, the The females would go and play with the kids and do some developmental stuff type stuff. And then the mail would go to, um, Fort Jacques, which is a piece of property that we have to build. So, Mm -hmm. you know, doing maintenance type stuff during the day. Um, so that first week when they got to Haiti, they'd never, you know, never been out of the country on a mission trip before. Um, and so they got, got to Haiti. Haiti was, this was, you know, four months after the big earthquake in 2010. So things were, a big mess still and not the safest. Mm -hmm. Um, and so they, they, they got there, they got to the orphanage and you know, everything was going super well. Um, my mom went to get a baby. She took the baby to the orphanage or to the balcony to start playing. Mm -hmm. And then, um, my dad did the same to follow. He came upstairs though, to that balcony and was, um, he had tears in his eyes. He was a little bit weepy. Okay. Why? So, um, something that we didn't touch on a little bit earlier was my dad was actually domestically adopted when he was six. And so that kind of pulls back into the story. Um, The baby's name was Rose and Rose Rose was the name of my dad's biological mother. So something that he had a name, he had always kind of struggled with.
0: So you said domestically adopted at six. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I know what domestically means. I know what adopted means. Like, does, um, like he was given up for adoption?
1: Yeah. So he was, when they, he was about five and a half, they were actually, him and his brother were taken from um, their mother uh, by DCFS.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. And then was he, then he was adopted and that was the home that he grew up in the rest of his childhood? That's correct. Okay. So Rose was the name of his biological mother. And it sounds like, um, you know, he's playing with this baby Rose on the balcony and mm-hmm. Rose is sounds like a very uh, difficult name, as you said, to deal with kind of a loaded term. So um, mm-hmm. thanks for filling that in for us. So he's playing, he gets a little weepy. What what does he, what happens then?
1: Yeah. So my mom just, just kind of reached over and said, what's going on? And, mm-hmm. and they kind of talked through the, the Rose situation and it was just, the first grab on dad's heart for, um, Hey, this might be, might be something that you need to continue doing, you know, giving back and doing these mission trips. So, um, they spent the week working and playing with the kids and, um, then to return home, um, they Mm -hmm. got on the airplane and, and dad just, you know, he took the time to pray and say, you know, if this is, if this is what I'm supposed to be doing, just help me know that. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they flew home, they landed in Miami, and when they landed in Miami, my dad had a message from John Bickle, who is the one of the founders of the orphanage, and okay. he told my dad, um, you know, we need you back already. This Can you was, be back this in was one just,
0: week? He called during the flight? Yeah. Wow. Okay.
1: Yeah. So he said, Can you be back in a week? Mm-hmm. So that was really my dad's sign that like this is he really took that as like his push um to This is what we should be doing and where his heart really was.
0: So um, I assume he went back in a week. Was the decision kind of made then and there that they were going to move down there?
1: Yeah. So it was that second trip really that um, the conversation was had that they really needed the help and that dad could, you know, really do all those things that um, they were struggling to keep up with.
0: Kind of like uh, just stuff around the build. Uh, Like, did he build things, that type of stuff? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, he did maintenance. So he did anything from um like working on the the inverters because we power was an issue to um septic to electrical to all kinds of different things. Okay. Pretty much anything that needed fixed.
0: Okay. So that second trip is that another week, week long trip? Yeah, it and was that, about a week. When then did it it move on to where your parents moved down there?
1: Yeah, so um following that trip he came home he sold his motorcycle. That's how we knew it was, it was it. He sold his motorcycle and that was his baby. So we knew when he did that, that we were um, starting a new adventure.
0: Uh, So, and then you, this was near the end of your junior year of high school. And then you said you decided to drop out so you could go with them. Now, um, was that a hard decision?
1: You know, I don't know that it was a hard decision for me. I think because of the experiences that I was going to get living in a third world country um, that missing my last year of high school in tiny Monticello, Illinois, wasn't going to do me much harm.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah. I, I think that's a really good way to phrase, uh, like to, to, to frame it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, okay. So that's, this is 2010 you, and so you go down with them in 2010 and you move down there.
1: So, so after 2010 was their first um, mission uh-huh. trip, my dad didn't move until 2012 actually so oh, he did okay he did mission trips um like every like once a quarter from then until the time that he moved
0: okay so uh, was your mom going with him too or was she staying up in uh, Illinois
1: so we kind of switched back and forth sometimes I would go mom would go we'd go together um so it was kind of a mix on who went
0: so you um I bet to you know, starting where he was the only one who could hold you to calm you down. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that you guys further bonded on these trips before you even moved down there. Then, right?
1: Yeah, for sure, we did. Definitely, yeah. I think it just continued to to build our bond.
0: Um, that's awesome. So you guys moved down in uh, 2012, and you're down there. So you're 17. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yep. Seventeen. Yep. Seventeen. Uh, I was 17 in 1912, so it works out. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, so, uh, you're down there. Tell me about that adjustment. I mean, you're a small mm-hmm. town, middle of central Illinois, flat cornfields, soybean fields. Uh, mm-hmm. and then you're in Haiti, a totally different culture. Tell me about that adjustment.
1: Yeah. So it definitely was, um, it was an adjustment to say the least. I think the one thing that sticks out to me the most is, um, becoming a minority. You know, you, you come into this country where, um, you are, you're the smaller Mm -hmm. of the two groups of people. And I think that's something, um, it really just helps to put into perspective when somebody else is the minority.
0: Yeah. You, um, so did you feel, I I, uh, just kind of, the, the odd man out as it were, I guess is the same. Yeah. Thing I'm trying to say, yeah, yeah, definitely. That's gotta be a very, definitely. especially coming from, you know, that's mm-hmm. gotta be an interesting and kind of jarring experience. I imagine.
1: Yeah, it definitely was. And, um, I think that the Haitian people too, they have just, um, they have a different look on life, even though they don't have a lot, they're very happy go lucky. And I think that was huge. Um, during that transition, because a lot of times they were happy to see you and we're happy to have you around.
0: Yeah. Just genuinely kind all the time. Yeah. 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 Um, so you're down there in 2012, you're transitioning, uh, in, into life down there. So let's, um, you know, let's go forward a little bit. Um, so seven years later, uh, you were still living in Haiti. Is that correct?
1: Um, were you still there, but your
0: parents Mm -hmm. were, yeah, okay. that's correct. When did you leave Haiti?
1: Um, in twenty seven, early twenty seventeen.
0: Okay. Um, and why'd you leave?
1: Um, I actually got married to the son of the founders of the orphanage. You got married. I did get married, Kevin. Okay.
0: Well, yeah. um, and so the wait. Sorry, going back, the John and Dixie, the the orphanage uh, founders. Yeah. They grew up in Monticello. They have a son yep. who I believe did they adopt him from Haiti?
1: That's correct. Okay.
0: Yep. Um, and so you met him down there and you guys got married.
1: We did. So we got married in twenty sixteen and then we moved stateside early twenty seventeen.
0: Wow. That's crazy. So yeah. you go down there to be with your parents, to to mm-hmm. try to help, to to experience the world, to try to give back, and you end up finding a husband. Yeah. Right on. That's awesome. Um, so you yeah. left, uh, you got married in 2016, you said, and you moved back stateside 2017. Uh, how, yep. how often were you in contact with your family down there?
1: Yeah, so definitely FaceTime is incredible because I talked to them multiple times a day. Um, oftentimes when we reunited in person, it, was, it felt silly because we felt like we just saw each other yesterday yeah. because uh, mm-hmm. of how much we were FaceTiming.
0: Yeah. Technology does two good things, and that's one of them. The other one is this podcast. Um, Okay. And I know that having gotten to know you again over the last couple of years, I know you're really close with your mom. Um, And I believe I've been on FaceTime calls with with you and your mom uh, multiple times. Um, So you get down there, you leave, you're staying in touch. um, And how often would you visit?
1: Um, I went a a couple of times a year, typically. Mm
0: -hmm. And were your husband's parents still down there?
1: Yep. They were. So my husband's parents and my parents lived in the same compound and worked together on a daily basis.
0: Okay. So, um, 2019, when was, um, when were you before what we're going to talk about here in a moment, when was the last time you were down in Haiti before what happened? July of
1: 2018.
0: Okay. So that's the last time. Got it. So Mm -hmm. tell me about twenty nineteen, kind of walk us through, you know, this next this next part and 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 what yeah. would all happen, please.
1: Yeah. So um my dad had become to feel um a little ill okay. in January. Um had some episodes where he was short of breath, um, just having a hard time, you know, keeping up. And he was a very active, very active man. So it mm-hmm. was a little abnormal. Okay. Um, so a little but concerning. So definitely um, they got him to see a cardiologist in Haiti mm-hmm. and the cardiologist there in Haiti didn't see anything wrong, um, but said, you know, it's probably worth a trip to the States anyways, just to get an extra set of eyes on things.
0: Okay. So he booked a trip back.
1: Yep. He did. So he, he dragged his feet about it first because he didn't really want to leave. He didn't want to do it. He was super stubborn. Um, and so he finally, he booked that trip and unfortunately, before he could make that trip, he did pass away. Oh,
0: um, okay. Sorry. Um, so he passed away. Uh, Mm -hmm. he didn't even get back to the States.
1: So he, um, when the day that he passed away, he was actually at the airport, um, going through security to go to the States to get medical attention.
0: Um, okay. And so he was, uh, did he get taken to a hospital?
1: He, they, they did take him via ambulance to the local hospital.
0: Okay. And they did at, uh, how are you made aware of this?
1: Yeah. So actually, um, my dad's driver who had dropped him off at the airport mm-hmm. met him back at the hospital. Um, his driver had accidentally FaceTimed me from his phone. Oh. And so I answered it and, um, just kind of inquired what was going on. I knew dad wasn't feeling well. I knew he was supposed to be on an airplane. So, you know, it just didn't equal. Yeah. You know, scary when you see that come up. Yeah. And Mm. so, um, just talking with his driver, you know, they had got him to the hospital and got him hooked up to machines and, um, he was starting to actually feel a little bit better. So that was kind of the last conversation that I had had before getting the news.
0: Okay. So your dad made it to the hospital. They, they kind mm-hmm. of, it sounds like an, uh, I'm not a doctor, um, but mm-hmm. neither is my sister. Um, <laughs> I just like to point that out. Uh, it sounds like they were kind of stabilized. He was kind of in a stable. Yeah. And so you kind of had a feeling like, oh, okay, maybe he's going to be okay.
1: Right. I okay. just thought, you know, we'll, we'll life flight him out if he needs something done, all of that's available. Um, you know, I didn't question the hair The healthcare he was given at all, Mm -hmm. Um, and I just thought, yeah, we'll just we'll figure out what the next step is um, once we're there.
0: Okay, so tell us what happened next, please.
1: Yeah, so um, I happened to get a call. I was at work already. I got a call from my mom. It was a I remember super vividly. It was a, a a Facebook Messenger call with my brother and I both on the same call. Oh wow. Yep. And that, and that's when mom, um, told us that, you know, unfortunately he had had a massive heart attack and had passed away, um, before she even made it to the hospital.
0: So not, not long after you kind of were speaking Mm -hmm. with this driver.
1: Yep. That's Um, correct.
0: And I, 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 this this is such a, Crude question, and I'm not trying to Mm -hmm. oversimplify, but like, what, what does, how could you feel when you hear that news? Like, what, what went through your Mm -hmm. head?
1: Uh, my initial thoughts were, this, this can't be real. Um, and I think that that's what I said to my mom in that initial phone call is, you've got to be kidding me. And then just, you know, you lose your stomach, and it truly is the worst day I've ever experienced.
0: And, um, just for, you had said that not long, it, you said your dad usually were like kind of drug his foot feet a little bit to go get help. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it wasn't that long before this that you found out that he was having possible health issues, right?
1: You, that's correct. It had only been a couple of weeks.
0: Okay. So just extremely sudden.
1: Mm-hmm. Very much so.
0: Uh, how old was he?
1: He was 48. sorry and he no that's okay i think another part that really fits well here kevin is the fact that he um passed away on valentine's day i think it has a lot to he had a huge heart and i think that that just the two correlate really big there
0: yeah wow um valentine's day Mm -hmm. So this is 2019 Valentine's day. So you get the call. You're on the call with your brother Mm -hmm. and your mom. Mom lets Mm -hmm. you guys know you kind of, this can't be real. What, what, um, what do you do next?
1: Uh, jump into action. I was ready to do whatever needed to be done. Um, because mom was overseas. She didn't have any, you know, she had great friends and family, you know, around, but Mm -hmm. I needed to be there with her. So, um, started just you know looking for flights and trying to figure out how quickly I could get to her
0: where where were you at this time? Um, I was
1: here in Colorado you
0: in Colorado okay, yeah, and for those of you who are listening who don't know Chelsea um what you just said uh I wanted to immediately jump into action, just help in whatever mm-hmm. way I can. That's pretty much a great way to describe the way that you um approach a lot of stuff right so that was not surprising at all to hear that um so you you find a flight um i assume pretty soon you get down there how much later
1: uh less than 24 hours wow okay yeah
0: what 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 goes on then
1: yeah so unfortunately we still had a really big battle ahead of us um my parents were in the midst of an adoption when my dad passed away
0: uh of a uh of an orphan from haiti
1: yep of okay. a of a little Haitian boy, okay, um
0: and so just go ahead, I'm sorry,
1: no, that's okay, so um unfortunately, we couldn't get a visa issued for him, and he had to have a visa to travel to the United States. He had a passport, which we were super thankful for, but without that visa approval, mm-hmm. we couldn't leave the country with him.
0: And was the reason that it wasn't approved because your dad passed away and that and the adoption wasn't complete?
1: No, that so the reason for the past or for the visa, they had tried multiple times for visitor visas mm-hmm. and they were denied before my dad passed away. Um, they were denied up until that point. So thankfully, we had some really really great connections and some really great people that um, got a hold of senators in Illinois and we were actually able to get James Lee a visa issued for, we left two weeks later.
0: Senators. Wow. Okay. Mm. So this is two weeks after you got down there. So basically about two weeks after your dad passed away. Um, Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about um, your mom and your dad and, and kind of their relationship? I mean um, they were maybe 19 ish when they got married. Is that about right?
1: Yeah, definitely. And they were 20, I think.
0: Okay. Definitely so, high,
1: high school sweethearts though, for yep, sure.
0: I remember that. Yes. Um, so <laughs> tell me about their relationship. So let's, let's just say, you know, they're married 28 years. Um, tell, tell me a little bit about that, please.
1: Yes. Yeah, so I, I grew up in a really strong household. Um, I had a mom and a dad who truly loved each other and I'm super grateful for that. And, um, to have parents that were still together was also such a huge blessing. Mm-hmm. Um, cause you, you don't always see that, you know, and you see families that are always together. And so, um, very thankful for that. Very thankful to be as fortunate as we were, you know, we had everything that we needed. Um, yeah, mom and dad were, were a very cohesive couple and, um, definitely weighed out each other's, um, you know, strong suits.
0: It's it's like a I mean, what a wonderful um, thing to kind of watch as you grow up and learn from, you know, because we learn from our parents Um, and that's that's such a a really special thing. So um, you're you're down there now with your mom and you you're feeling, um, okay, I've got to do whatever I can to help Mm -hmm. support your mom. So or my mom, rather. um, Yeah. Speaking as you. um, How long were you with her?
1: So, I was actually with my mom for a total of six weeks after my dad died. Wow, so yeah. we uh, came back to Monticello after we got the visa, and we had a service and things of that nature and um mm-hmm. I stayed with her just until I you know was comfortable kind of walking away from her, not you know not only her but my little brother as well.
0: Yeah, now, how old was your little brother at this point?
1: He was six
0: man, yeah, okay. Um, but the adoption was not finalized yet, right?
1: But, That's correct. But
0: he was able to come, uh, come to the States and okay. So I know that, you know, what you just said about your, your parents and being such a strong foundation, you guys were, I believe you just said a strong family, always had what you mm-hmm. needed. Um, ha- how has that led to kind of your own um marriage and relationship and and things like that has that been like a positive something that you look to? You talk anything about that?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that it I know that especially my dad did a very good example for Steve my husband on on um you know, ways to take care of me and I had ankle surgery one time and my dad um flew from Haiti to take care of me after my ankle surgery because he wanted to show that that good example for Steve. Wow. And so I do think Steve and I both take you know all these parts and pieces that we've learned from you know both of them or or one or the other and um definitely use them to make our relationship strong
0: that's wonderful and and how long was your dad there when you were recovering from that surgery
1: oh probably 10 days or so
0: wow yeah I don't know if I've spent 10 days with my father in my life (laughs) but I haven't broken my ankle yet so we'll see yeah um so okay um You, I'm going to oversimplify something here, right? We're all going to face death um, and we're all Mm -hmm. unfortunately going to deal with the grief of losing loved ones. Um, And I think the oversimplification I'm saying is there's the ability to say goodbye and then there's not right. Mm -hmm. Um, You obviously kind of fall, not kind of, you fall on the ladder there. So can you explain to me what that grief has been like for you, how it was initially and how it's kind of, you know, manifested, uh, throughout these last couple of years?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, I think that before my dad passed away, I hadn't really had any close passings before. And so grief was a, a fairly new thing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and an intense grief at that, right. Losing a parent's definitely not easy. And, um, I think that it's a whole nother level of grief, um, very much so depressed and, And, um, to myself after he passed away very much, so didn't, didn't associate with other people. Um,
0: so you, you didn't really talk about it. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
1: definitely. And I didn't want to believe it was true.
0: So there, there was kind of a hard thing to just accept, okay, this is reality now and there's nothing I can do about it. Is that kind of what you're saying? Right.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think the reality fact was huge.
0: And when you said you're depressed, like how did that manifest?
1: Um, when I get depressed, I sleep a ton and I eat a ton, and um, my personal hygiene isn't as great during those kind of depressive phases.
0: And you just, yeah, um, understood, understood. Um, so how after your dad passed away, you're starting to go through this grief. You say you're not really talking to people, mm-hmm. you kind of cloister yourself, you're going through this. Are you, you know are you able to talk with your husband about it or even that is too much?
1: No, definitely. Steve and I, um, definitely talked about it. And, and we talk about him a lot just to keep that, that kind of memory going.
0: And how was Steve there for you after, you know, this horrible thing happened?
1: Yeah. I don't know how I would have gotten through without Steve. He was just my, my rock for, you know, going through all of this and, um, definitely I leaned on him a lot and I'm very grateful that he was, he was able to there and support me in the ways that I needed.
0: Uh, That's really wonderful. It really is wonderful to hear because, you know, we all have our partnerships, whether they be romantic or not friendships, and we Mm -hmm. have to lean on other people. Um, at least that's what Bill Withers told me. So, um, that's joking aside, that's really wonderful to hear. Um, and, uh, I'm glad that, I mean, how long did you know, how long did Steve know your dad? I guess is the question I wanted to ask.
1: Um, Since 2010 is when they first officially okay. met.
0: All right. So he knew him better part of nine years then. Yeah. Yep. Wow. So God, yeah. not only is he being there for you, but he's grieving. In uh, his of own course. Way. Cause
1: he and my dad were close. Yeah. And so that was a, it was a hard part for, yeah. For him to grieve also while supporting me.
0: You when I spoke with you before you had mentioned you described grief to me and I think a really um, interesting and clear way Uh, and grief is just so all consuming. But can you tell us kind of how you describe grief?
1: Yeah, so um, I like to kind of pictures help me. So I like to kind of paint a picture. So if you think about a, a room. Mm -hmm. with, um, a red bouncy ball Mm -hmm. and, um, a red button on the wall, a big red button. Um, grief is kind of that, that red ball that's all over the place, right? It's going to jump from one corner to the next, and it's going to hit that. It's going to hit the red button. Mm -hmm. Um, and as you continue to go through grief, your room gets a little bit bigger. So that button gets triggered a little less often. And so as that kind of continues, it's the I don't know what word I'm looking for, but the intensity of the grief um, isn't as you learn how to to handle it. You learn how to deal with it. Life has changed. You learn, um, you know, that it's it's okay that they're not here, but that it's okay to want to keep their memory alive.
0: But you're, all I think, you're saying even as that room expands and the grief, it's always going. That ball will always be in that room,
1: right? And it's always going to get hit.
0: Yeah, and it's
1: the, the button.
0: Yeah. How hard is it to accept that? Accept that it's, it, it, it's just what it is, I guess is what I'm saying.
1: Yeah. Um, it is hard because a lot of times it doesn't feel fair. I say that a lot. Like it's not fair Yeah, that I have to, that I've had to endure this. Um, and so I think that's like, it's, it's hard. It's hard to for the reality and, you know this is truly real you won't he's not coming back you're not going to get to see him again um you know i think those facts are are very hard to to grasp i think that's what i had probably the most hard
0: right time with starting with what you said i believe on the the facebook call this can't be real yeah yeah um yeah. well i i mean to go from um you know He's the only one who can, um, you know, stop you from being upset or crying as a baby Mm -hmm. to he spending 10 days with you with your with your ankle and and kind of helping Steve out with you uh, to all the great work that he and your mom did down in Haiti. I think it's just a wonderful um, story. And I really appreciate you telling, um, you know, kind of that that part of your larger story, because it is unfortunately something that so many people have to deal with. And uh, no matter how much we tell our stories, it's it's hard to say if we're ever going to be prepared for that type of grief and, and that type of loss. So you sharing that is is super meaningful. So thank you for that. Of course. So you said you'd lived in Colorado. You've lived there That's since correct. you moved back to the States. Is that right?
1: Yep. So 2017.
0: Okay, cool. Um, and I know that... Uh, It was it, oh gosh, two years ago, you were working um, in a a tanning salon, right?
1: Yeah, that's correct.
0: And you had a a pretty traumatic episode there. Do you want to kind of let us know what happened there?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I was working at a tanning salon at night hours. It was about 730 and a gentleman walked in and um, asked me for change. And then proceeded to draw a gun and rob me.
0: He, he pulled out a gun and pointed it at you. He did. Uh, Okay. So what goes through your head in that moment?
1: Yeah. So, well, the first thing that went through my head is I want my dad. (sighs) That was my, you know, that first daddy's little girl, right? Like he'll come, he'll protect me.
0: Uh, And this was, uh, Yeah this was a couple years after he would passed away, right? Yeah. One year. Yeah. um, Yeah. When did this occur?
1: Uh, This was January 7th of 21.
0: Okay. Got it. January 7th of 21. So we're coming up on the two year anniversary of it. Yep. Um, We are.
1: So that was kind of like, I want, I want my dad was kind of that first thought. Um, I was also super concerned for my mom thinking if, if this man does something to me, my mom doesn't need to go through anything more than we've already been through.
0: Wow! And this is all flashing through your mind very mm-hmm. quickly, obviously, right? Um, yeah. And it, again, it's so. a testament to your—I think, at least—to your family and mm-hmm. um, the the strength of your family that you, you're you're thinking about your parents when when that when that happens. Um, so, this this was this guy caught.
1: He was actually, he was caught about seven days later,
0: seven days later. Okay. So he, another question is, did he, um, how did it, so he, uh, sorry, held a gun. You're Mm -hmm. dealing with those thoughts you have and you just give him the money and he left or did anything else occur?
1: Yeah. So I actually, um, started almost begging him to let me just stand outside I like that the hyper or the fight or I couldn't breathe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't breathe. And I really, oh, wow. I just okay. kept asking him like, can I please just go? I don't, I don't care what you do. I just would like to get some air. Cause I feel like I can't breathe. Um, and he was very against that. Um, and so I, I did ultimately put the money. Um, he had a fanny pack, which is a weird memory. And he had me put that money in his fanny pack. And then he did, Um, exit through the back of the building
0: okay how long from the moment he walked in to ask for change to when he left can you estimate about how long that was
1: yeah probably two minutes or less it was fairly quick
0: okay so obviously extremely 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 traumatic um Mm -hmm. do you call the police right away what happened next
1: Yeah. So I didn't call the police right away. I think again, that was that fight or flight. I didn't really know what I was doing. Mm -hmm. Um, so I called a coworker and, and then immediately got on the phone with, you know, with the police, um, and somebody had already reported it and the police were on their way.
0: Wow. Okay. Um, so the police probably get there pretty soon after that then.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, the police get there and, you know, I have to go through all the, the questions of, you know, kind of what did he look like? What happened? Um, all those kinds of questions were pretty, um, pretty intense right off the bat.
0: Yeah. I mean, you were just robbed and as you said, Mm -hmm. you were, you were not feeling like you just wanted to get away from it. You couldn't breathe. Uh, and then mm-hmm. of course you do have to answer those questions, which is compounding kind of what you went through. How long do you think it took you to process what happened?
1: I think it truly took me a good week to fully process that. It was again, the reality, cause it's a huge part for me as I struggle with the reality that it actually did happen. Um, so it really did take me a while to really let it sink all the way in
0: okay and how did that manifest like um, I know you said like after your, your father passed away you mm-hmm. you you became depressed you kind of closed off you didn't really want to talk about it um, what, what was kind of how did it manifest in the days and weeks after you know this happened
1: yeah I definitely would say um, almost the same I definitely isolated myself I didn't go out very often um, I definitely didn't go out alone because um, that was a big a big fear of mine was being alone. So I would say realistically, uh, I dealt with it in the same way that I dealt with it when my dad died.
0: And that you just kind of um, closed off.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh,
0: So and this, as we said, so this was January 7th of 21. So almost two years after your dad passed away. And so you were, where were you on that grief journey? At when this yeah, occurred,
1: when the robbery happened, I was really starting to feel like I was in a good place. Um, you know, I had accepted the fact that it was the reality, and um, you know, working every day towards towards um, you know, kind of finding that place of happiness
0: mm-hmm.
1: again. And and I do feel like I was right there, and then it was pulled out from underneath my feet again.
0: Almost as if you were starting all over.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. So you you were depressed. Were you anxious? Were you like kind of? Was there yeah, anything besides the depression in the manifestation of this traumatic event?
1: Yeah, anxiety was was really bad. Um, like I said, I didn't go out by myself at all. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't. I wouldn't even shower in the house without somebody being there. Just the the safety factor yeah. was huge for me. Um. So yeah.
0: Did you feel? And this is not supposed to be a judgmental question. I'm just, did you feel shame that, that you were so that you were struggling so much? I, I I
1: I do struggle with that.
0: Can you say a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, I definitely, and this kind of covers both. I would say, um, I struggle with not feeling, I say all the time, I just want to feel normal and not knowing what normal truly is. Mm -hmm. But I, I felt like I struggled for too long or even now when I struggle sometimes, you know, I get really heavy on myself in the fact of like, you should be, you should be over this and you should be fine. Um, and obviously nobody outside in is telling me that that's just myself.
0: So you're, you're not giving yourself a lot of grace is what you're saying.
1: That's correct.
0: And, um, as far as what normal is, Brent, if you could just pull up the Hallmark channel, that'll show us what normal is. (laughs) Uh, And then you you made another uh, interesting point. You said too long. Maybe I'm quote feeling something too long. It's very interesting because that resonates with me because it's like, uh, what are these rules that I've all of a sudden I judge myself against rather harshly as like, I didn't even think about this, but it's like, uh, Oh, I've been doing this too long or I've felt depressed too long or all that stuff. And so then that compounds, right? So then you get mad at yourself mm. because you feel like you're not following the rules and this is not how one is supposed to grieve these things or, or, or process these. Is that fair to say? Yeah, definitely. Um, wow. Yeah. And it, it's just, at least speaking for myself, and it sounds like the, the your experience, How e- I'll just speak for myself, how easy I slip into that mode where I am just like, you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong. I mean, it's, it's anything as simple as if I go to the gym and I'm lifting a weight, uh, and I'm like, no, this is wrong, you're going to hurt yourself, people are looking at you too. What you're talking about, something terrible you're going through in life that you knew is, well, the robbery, you, of course, didn't expect mm-hmm. at all. And you you can't even prepare for that. And yet you're so strict on yourself and saying, these are the rules and why aren't you doing it better? Mm-hmm. And so now you're angry at yourself and that's just making it worse.
1: Right. And I think that I fall into that category. Um, I definitely hold myself to these standards that I'm not even sure, like you said, where did, where they come from?
0: Yeah, I I don't know where they came from either. Um, Brent, you got that I Walmart channel up yet? Great. Uh, also, I do lift weights, Brent. That's for you. Um, so, wh- how else? Like, now you, this has been almost two years. You've obviously been able to leave uh, leave the house. Uh, I just know that <laughs> because I saw you a lot. Um, <laughs> what? What? How else do, does this kind of does this still play in your everyday life? Like, how does this manifest if yeah. at all?
1: Definitely through anxiety still, it manifests a ton. Um, if I'm out somewhere, I, um, loud noises, big groups of people definitely heighten my, um, like that sense of anxiety. And I always seem to find myself making sure I've got an exit plan. I know how to get out of the situation if I have to.
0: So even if let's just say you're at a dinner with friends, Mm -hmm. uh, you are thinking, one part of your brain has worked out a way that you know that if something goes wrong, you'll know how to get out. Yeah. And you never had that thought before the robbery or that. No, never. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's never really left you in that sense.
1: No, definitely not. And I don't, I think part of that will stay with me forever. I don't know that it'll, that feeling of being unsafe is unlike any other feeling. And so I think that'll stay with me probably.
0: Yeah. Um, And you, did you speak with therapists after this?
1: I did. I actually um, spoke with a couple different therapists. I did end up doing EMDR with one of the therapists for um, the robbery.
0: Tell me um, in your experience, uh, EMDR kind of, can you just let us know, Briefly, layman's terms, what is EMDR?
1: Yeah, so it's, and I probably don't know. I won't say it as well as you might, Kevin, but... um, I don't know what it is. I don't, yeah. So basically, it's trying to connect the two sides of your brain so you can process correctly. So it's oftentimes you watch a ball on the screen go back and forth so it engages both sides of your brain. While you're thinking and while you're feeling these these memories, and, and it, so you mm-hmm. do that to kind of um, put them where they really need to go in the filing cabinet, rather than everywhere.
0: And it helps you kind of reprocess it. Is that is that kind of a good way to say it?
1: Yeah, that's okay. a good way.
0: Again, sir, so I I listen. I I want to do EMDR mainly because I like Pong, but also <laughs> I you know the medication and everything else is still not doing the trick, you know? So, um, you did EMDR and this was the second time you'd done it, right?
1: That's correct. I did it. Um, right when we moved back to the United States in
0: 2017.
1: Yeah. And that was, um, excuse me, kind of pertaining to a car accident that I was in earlier on in my life.
0: Wow. Okay. Um, and, Pardon me. So you've had two experiences with, um, EMDR Were you, were you really, um, both times were you really committed to it? I've, I've heard that it's a very, can be a very difficult, uh, process.
1: It, it definitely can be difficult because you're, you're going through and you're bringing back up all those memories and it makes you not want to do it because you're just reliving everything. Um, and if you aren't committed to truly, you know doing the steps with your therapist and um you know taking the time and the focus and the effort on it it's not going to work it definitely my first go around it definitely did not work for me mm-hmm. um but i think the second time i would i felt different about that time when i did it
0: so it was it was more effective it it helped you process uh, for lack yeah. of a better term all the trauma that you'd went through okay right um how many uh, how long are those sessions when you did it?
1: I think they were like in between 30 and 45 minutes mm-hmm. and I did it once a week.
0: Yeah, that's, I mean, and that's not like 30 to 45 minutes of just shooting the breeze. It's, it's very intense. Right. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that in general, you have, I know, um, not only with these experiences we talked about with your dad with the robbery, you've always kind of struggled with mental health stuff, um, depression, anxiety. Uh, is that correct?
1: Yeah. So I would say starting probably in middle school, um, I started feeling depressed. Um, and I can't say since then I've not felt depressed. So it's just kind of stuck with me.
0: So, um, what did, when you started feeling depressed and, before you could even put a name to it, okay, you're in middle school. Mm. It's not something It sounds like you've really had really much experience with before then. Um, how did you feel when you started to realize, oh, this, I'm sad a lot or however it manifested? Like, did you feel lonely? Did you tell anyone about it?
1: Yeah, I definitely felt sad and I felt sad all the time. And again, I was doing a lot of retreating to to being on my own. Um you know, kind of like I did, like we talked about in those situations, just kind of secluding myself again. Um, mm-hmm. but definitely didn't feel again. I use that term normal all the time. I didn't feel that I was normal. I didn't see anybody else having those problems, you know, that I was struggling with.
0: Yeah. And, um, so you retreated, did you talk to anybody? Did you talk to your parents about it? Friends?
1: Yeah, I definitely talked to my parents about it. And, um you know, we took the steps for, um, getting, you know, getting on medication and seeing therapists.
0: Okay. Uh, what was, do you remember the first medication you were on?
1: Yeah. Zoloft. Oh, I
0: hate Zoloft.
1: Me too. I'm not a fan.
0: Uh, that not a fan. Let let me be clear. Zoloft lawyer, man. Um, (laughs) Zoloft works for a lot of people and I'm all for it. It just did not work for me. What did you, how did you feel on Zoloft?
1: Um, like a zombie. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right.
0: But yeah. not like the cool Walking Dead kind, like the no. kind who wanted to be dead walking, right? Right. Um, I've never even seen The Walking Dead. Um, Me either. Oh, yeah. See, that's what we're the yeah. most sad about, really. That's the crux of the Chelsea episode. Yeah. Um, Zombie, right? You didn't feel like yourself. It's like, yeah, it totally, at least in my experience, and was it the same? For, it totally eliminates any highs and lows. And you're just like, Duh.
1: you just like do it. You do the day and that's about, that's about it. Yeah.
0: And again, to be clear, I think Zoloft is wonderful. And if it works for people, I think that's wonderful. I just, it was not my favorite and and my long cornucopia of trying to do better. Um, That's, that's a good way to describe life. How's your life going? (laughs) It's a long cornucopia of trying to do better. How about you? Well, I didn't really actually want an answer, Kevin. Well, shut up. Okay. So you were on Zoloft. You you started therapy in middle school too?
1: I, I think that was later on, actually. I think I started um, medications before I started therapy.
0: It's interesting. Um, I, for a long time, did that too, where I was on medication, but I didn't just necessarily do therapy along with it. And I, in mm-hmm. my experience, I've found that the two of them together is is, is super helpful. Were you, were you able to, how long were you on the Zoloft?
1: Gosh, I don't remember, but not very long because of how it made me feel. Okay. I remember jumping around from antidepressant to antidepressant. Mm-hmm. Definitely, we we danced around with them because nothing felt right. None of it was working how you know we'd kind of hoped.
0: Yeah, and what I like to tell people who are have never done that or are maybe going to try it is it's it it's hard to find the one that works for you, right? Mm. Uh, and sometimes you do have to. You know, try this, try that, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So, and you were, what were you you diagnosed at the time?
1: Yeah, I was diagnosed with anxiety and depression. And both of those came with the word massive in front of it. So massive depressive disorder. So I was really sad.
0: That's pretty fucking sad, man.
1: It is pretty sad. Um,
0: Did you, massive.
1: That's massive. Aggressive, isn't it? I thought so, but.
0: Yeah. Um, Massive. Okay, so did that help you? Sorry, not help. Did that lead you to feel more isolated in what you had because it was said in such uh, stark terms?
1: No, I don't think so. I think that um, it was a step in the right direction to figuring out what was going to work for me.
0: Yeah. Um, Did you feel less alone when you understood that it was something that you other people dealt with as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I I'll say too, that my dad really struggled. And so I watched him struggle. And so I knew, knew how hard it could be. Yeah. Um, yeah, I knew how hard it could be, but it definitely, your eyes begin to open to, you know, to seeing that others do struggle from it. Everybody just, um, processes in a different way.
0: Right. And was that a way that you and your dad further bonded was your Absolutely. shared experience with, with the the mental health struggles. Mm-hmm. Um, and are you still on uh, meds now?
1: I am. I feel like I'm on a ton. My psychiatrist begs to differ. So <laughs> <laughs> um, I currently I'm taking Wellbutrin, which I've mm-hmm. taken that for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, And it definitely has done the best for me. Uh, I also take an anxiety. So I take Prestique for anxiety. Um, And I take the antidepressant booster. I can never remember what it is. You take it on top of your antidepressant, it makes it works better.
0: Is it a a booster or mood stabilizer? Are those two different things?
1: I think they're two different things. So this is one I take on top of my antidepressant. That's supposed to just enhance, you know, enhance its powers. I see. Um, Okay. I also then take some, you know, as needed medications mm-hmm. when I fly, I take, take a Xanax when I fly, um, and just some, like some propanolol when I, you know, have anxiety, those kinds of things. Um, and we've slown in a sleep pill just because I haven't been sleeping the best.
0: Has that made like, of course, uh, it, do you find that to be really helpful? The sleep pill?
1: Um, they scare me a ton. I really didn't want to do sleep Why do pills they just because
0: you? the addictive I've just
1: heard of addiction. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: yeah. So I try, um, I try really hard and only use it when it's super necessary. So I find myself using it about once a week and I get a really good night's sleep, you know, that once a week. Um, but I'm still getting, you know, six to seven hours nightly. So it's not, it's not like I'm not sleeping at all.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Um, and Okay. So, well, first of all, thank you for sharing all that. I know that's yeah, that's course. a pretty, not pretty, it's a very personal thing, um, to share. Uh, and I think the more that we as people, um, talk about it, the, the more normalized it'll become. So I think that's really courageous of you. And so thank you for sharing that. Um, mm-hmm. and any, uh, any other meds or, um, struggles that you're having that you'd like to share or no?
1: Yeah, so kind of it's a two part here with the medication. I did a gene site study, which was a, like a DNA swab that mm-hmm. you send off mm-hmm. and it tells you which medications are supposed to work best for you, which medications are OK and then which medications don't work. I highly suggest that um, it really helped us land on what I needed.
0: Uh, my sister, who is not a doctor, um, mm-hmm. but is a nurse practitioner, I give her shit. Uh, she's, she's a very brilliant woman, but she has been late as of late, been trying to tell me to do exactly that. The gene study thing.
1: Yeah, it was really cool. I had never heard about it. Um, but they, they give you this whole list of the different things that'll work. And so it kind of cuts out some of that, like dancing around.
0: How long you know, did it take to get the medications?
1: results? Less than three weeks.
0: And do you happen to know where it was that you went to do that? It's, okay uh, it's all through the mail. But um, how did you get the kit? I guess. Is oh, what I'm saying.
1: the, my psych doctor.
0: Okay. They, Got it.
1: Yeah. They just, they just put in an order for it. Comes to your house super easy. And then you send it back out. So. Wow. But definitely suggest that to, to anybody that's struggling to find the right medication for them.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so how do you um, feel? Oh, go ahead, please.
1: No, that's okay. I was just going to answer that. I guess that was kind of an off track one. Um, my focus has really been lacking, okay, and I've been struggling with my focus a lot lately. Um, and so I, you know, just in talking to my my doctors, um, they decided to test me for ADHD. Okay. And um, so I was just like three weeks ago diagnosed with ADHD.
0: Can I, uh, okay. So can I ask, what is the testing process? When you say that I've, I've been tested for ADHD, what does that entail?
1: Yeah. So not, it sounds way bigger than it is. It's like a questionnaire of Mm -hmm. like 15 questions that you fill out like rare, often, very often, sometimes, you know, on the, on the scale.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So that's a pretty recent development then.
1: Yeah, definitely. It is. Um, I did start taking medication for that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And my doctor kind of told me that, you know, sometimes ADHD in women can come across as anxiety and depression. really, And so that this, this may also help that aspect.
0: Okay. Um, So it's maybe, is it too early to say how the treatment's going or not? I I don't
1: don't think so. I think that I'm actually, I feel really good. feel much better than i had been feeling Mm -hmm. um a lot less weepy i suppose i feel i just feel happier
0: did you say weepy like
1: weepy kind of on the edge of crying yeah
0: by the way if you ever want to cry and you need to cry just put on an intervention works every time uh it's like old yeller but with way worse stuff um okay um so you you're already feeling better just within weeks of the diagnosis and and you feel like you're, you're in good shape with that. And how's your focus?
1: My focus is a ton better. I definitely can see a difference. And like the first day I took the medication, I had six different lists and my day went very smoothly. And, you know uh-huh. um, so I, I definitely think that's been improving as well.
0: Awesome. Um, that's really great to hear. Um, so, you know, We've, we've gone over three pretty major things here, right? The, your history with mental health, which you were, again, very kind and candid about. Uh, the traumatic events of uh, January 7th of 21 when you, know, you were robbed at gunpoint and then, of course, losing your father. Um, all three of these things are not easy things to share. And um, I really, really appreciate you telling your story and kind of how you're continuing to deal with that red ball in the room um in in all its forms is there anything else that you wanted to make sure to discuss or 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 say uh, you know on this episode
1: yeah i just want i would love um just to reiterate to everybody that you know there aren't these magic guidelines that we need to be following and it's okay to not be okay and um it's okay to call kevin every time you need to cry because that's what i do <laughs>
0: That's right, and, and usually I'm like, all right, what episode of Intervention are you watching? <laughs> You're like season Definitely. four. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, it, I go back to what you just said. It's okay to not be okay. Mm. That combined with what you said earlier about this is taking too long or I'm doing this wrong or all this shit, um, you know, by whose rules. And, of course, it's okay to not be okay because all of us at one time or another um, – have, have that horrible uh, feeling of not being okay and I think the more we talk about it the more brave people um, who are generous with their time and their stories like you are um, I think the less alone we can all feel so um, I agree 100% it's totally okay to not be okay um, I get an A for effort in not being okay which mm-hmm. really works out that was actually on my first grade um, uh, report card and well mm-hmm. nobody stopped me after that <laughs> Um, awesome. Well, Chelsea, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. Um, your stories. Um, and I'm really happy to hear that, you know, your new treatment is going well and, you know, you're continuing to, to push forward and, and, uh, learn to live with that, that bouncing ball and, and everything else. And really, really appreciate you, um, sharing your story with us.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Kevin.
0: Thank you for being on and, uh, everyone, thank you so much for listening something i try to remind people of on this show and i forget myself every day but i try to remind is no matter what the situation is there's always room i think for kindness and grace and i hope uh hearing chelsea's story helped and uh, chelsea thank you again for being on and and thank you everyone for listening and uh, we'll see you next time on sad times